Well, good evening. I think Jamal just uh, changed our nomenclature, didn't he? This is no longer the Newport News campus. This is the Newport News cousin. We have a Williamsburg cousin and a Suffolk cousin. And soon to have cousins all over the 757. Come on. See, he was prophesying there a little bit, right? It's subtle, but it was in there. It was good. It was good. Hey, I just want to uh, just mention again about, you know, the service for next weekend. And not just next weekend, but every, every weekend. I'm going to encourage you to change your arrival time, right? For, for if, if you've slipped into this habit of being here at 5.15 or 5.20 or getting in for the last song so nobody really realizes that you were late, right, because it's dark. And, and uh, I just, you're, you're, you're missing out on a big piece of what God wants to do in your life. There's, there's 90 minutes of encounter that God wants you to have. So I'm just, I'm going to encourage you. I mean, you know who you are. I know who you are, right? So, so five, make Make 4.30 your target arrival time. Just, just shoot for 4.30. You can get there. You can get a cup of coffee. It's going to be a water-only sanctuary, which I know is going to be new for us. We talked with our Saturday Life team before we made that decision, and they said they probably have to get the mop out at least four times every Saturday night here. So it's carpet in the sanctuary there. So we're like, that's probably not going to be a good idea. But get, come early. Get your coffee. Sit down and talk with someone. Find someone you don't recognize. Have a conversation. There's usually tables that are set out that talks about missions trips and ministries to serve in and ministry projects that we're doing. And it gives you the time to do those things, right? You don't show up for half of your job. Oh, come on. You don't go to a restaurant and just ask for half the meal, right? And if you do, we don't like you, right? You don't, you, you don't, you don't, you don't go to a concert or, an, or a play or a show and just say, let's just go at intermission and catch the back half of it. That's enough. Think of all the areas of your life where you say, I want to experience all of it. That should be your heart every Saturday night when it comes to church. You, you, you should say on Saturday morning, I want to experience everything that God has for me. And there's 90 minutes of it. Come on. So let's do that. Let's do that together. So we are on, if you were here two weeks ago and thought to yourself, I'm kind of disappointed because I'm going to miss part two of this message that Fred is preaching. God knew that you weren't going to be able to be here last week, and we did something prophetic and spontaneous, and now we're here. I see Paige is smiling because that was part of her conversation. I'm going to miss it because I'm serving, see? So God knew that you needed it, so now you're going to get it tonight. So this is part two. Part one was two weeks ago. You can catch that on a podcast, but just to kind of bring you up to speed a little bit, when we were at a conference recently, the the staff team uh, at Elam Fellowship is the group that we're part of. They do a conference every year, and uh, the, the keynote speaker is Dr. David Ireland, and he talked about questions being our friends. And he, and he taught out of the book of Nehemiah and how in the beginning of the book of Nehemiah in the first chapter that Nehemiah asks a question, and that question, this one question, leads to his, his fulfilling of his destiny. It leads to the rebuilding of a nation, and, 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 and what you begin to realize is that if you ask the right questions in the right crowd for the right reasons, that it prepares propels you on a journey of transformation. It propels you onto a journey towards the fulfillment of your destiny. That's why when you read in the Gospels about Jesus, you see him asking questions. You see him teaching people to ask questions. And we want to be a church that asks the right questions in the right crowd for the right reasons. And so I introduced you two weeks ago to this idea that when it comes to moments of generosity, that I have four friends, four questions that I've been asking myself for a long time. And I'm sharing them with you. And the first one was, am I cheerful? That when you step into moments of generosity, are you excited about the kind of generosity that God is asking of you? And we're going to do the last three together tonight. I talked two weeks ago about Hebrews 10, 24, and this great verse that talks about provoking one another to love and good works and how your Bible, I like the New Living Translation, and, 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 and sometimes these translations don't quite get it right. And they, they use the word here or inspire or 
motivate, but that's not a good translation. If you look in the King James, it actually says to provoke. And, and as Christians, we don't like this idea of provoking one another. That Greek word is only used two times in the Bible. The first time is in Hebrews 10, 24, or the second time, in the, and then the first time is in the book of Acts. And it's used when Paul and Barnabas got into such a dispute with one another that actually their friendship fractured and they were soon reconciled. But that's the same word that's used here in the book of Hebrews, right? Good friends ask you the hard questions whether you want to hear it or not. And then when you try to push them away, they push a little bit harder because they love you. There should be questions in our lives that are friends to us that press us when we don't want to be pressed. Can I just tell you, we want to be a church that presses you when you don't want to be pressed. I want to be a pastor who gets pressed by you when I don't want to be pressed. We want to provoke one another to love and good works. So we took that concept and we dropped it into the story of Matthew 26 where Jesus, he's toward, it's towards the end of his life. He's approaching his crucifixion. Mary, one of the sisters of Lazarus, comes and breaks a bottle of perfume over him, anoints him, washes his feet with her hair, and, and, and here's this great conflict about money. And, and, and this is why we have this in our Good News series because this is what Jesus said. Jesus talks about the good news in this story. You can look up at Matthew 26. He connects the idea of good news with money. And he talks about this moment was going to always be remembered. And I think what he's talking about there is that in churches, when you begin to talk about money in the context of the gospel and the good news, then it costs money to spread the gospel, that those money conversations in churches, it creates tension, it creates conflict, right? It provokes us. And I think Jesus was saying to the church and he was saying to the world, don't shy away from these hard conversations. Just because they're uncomfortable doesn't mean that they're not healthy. And so as a church, we've just said, we're not going to shy away from the money conversation, especially when that conversation is connected to the money that's necessary to advance the gospel and reach our region. Okay, that's my little intro. This is my last sermon here, so settle in. I calculated this week. I've done, it was over 325 sermons in, in, in this building. For some of you, you're thinking, I've sat through those, right? I smiled and you frowned. I get it, right? How about Pastor David's worship wrap-up? Was that not fantastic? Come on, give him some love. I mean, I have to admit, I almost had to tear my shirt in heresy when he started to talk down Krispy Kreme donuts a little bit, but I refrained, right? Because I know he was speaking the truth, but I'm, I'm, I'm working through it. I'm working through it. All right, so, so ready? I'm going to, so this is, this is question number two. We're going to do three questions tonight. These are free, three friends that you need in your life. The, the first one is this. We don't like this word, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provoke you tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt your feelings a little bit tonight. Am I submitted, Right? It's the Christian S word. Am I submitted? Now, I'm not talking about being submitted to me or being submitted to the church. And if you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know our concept of submission is you submit your heart to God. And, and, and if you get that right, all the other areas of submission in your life, they're just going to take care of themselves. Am I submitted? This needs to be a friend that's following you around and asking you this question when you're coming up to moments of generosity when God is asking you to give away some of the money that you have. Let's look at Luke 16, Luke 16, verses 13 through 15. No one, this is Jesus talking, can serve two masters. You will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at him, right? Because they didn't like this question. Then he said to them, right? Because Jesus isn't backing down. He's going to press. He's going to provoke. You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. And what this world honors is detestable in the sight of of God. So, so let me ask you this question. What are some foods that when you think of them, they make you want to gag? Anybody? What are some foods when you think of them? Tara? 
Mayonnaise. Any kind of mayonnaise or just certain brands? Not really. All right. Not even Hellman's? Wow. In Jesus' name, right? Where's all right. Malcolm. Chitlings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can all agree with that and move on, right? Travis. Sweet potatoes, really? How about with brown sugar and butter? All right, somebody. We need to, we're gonna have deliverance at the altar at the end of the service. Yes, sir. Carrots. All right, cooked, raw, in any way, right? All right. Somebody else. Foods that make you want to gag. Some of you are gagging right now thinking about it. Pretzels. Any kind of pretzel. All right. The hot ones that are soft. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Raw oysters. I hear you. I know that's not for everybody. Jim, was that yours? Was that what you were going to say? Raw what? Mochi. All right. I don't know what that is, but I'm believing you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Chris, I already know what you're going to Can I just tell yours? Seafood. Cheese, right? All right. Okay. I know. I know. Seafood, cheese. All right. I know. We got crosstalk happening in the church. Somebody else. Something that makes you get, Clint. Cottage cheese. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Somebody? Tofu? All the way in the back. Is that Danielle? Beets? Oh! Stab me right through the heart. I love pickled beets. Anybody else love pickled beets? You can get them on the salad bar at Jason's Deli, just so you know. Somebody, did you have Vienna? Vienna sausage. I know. I grew up on that too. It's so bad. You're like, what was my mom doing? Donna? Soft boiled eggs. I know what hard boiled eggs, but I don't think I know what a soft boiled egg is. I, I'm starting to gag thinking about it. Yeah, 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 mountain oysters, and I'm not even going to tell you what those are. If you don't know, you can look it up yourself. Right, you, know, you know that feeling that some of you are, have when you, when you thought of that, your, your gag reflex? You, you can think about other moments that your gag reflex kicks in, right? Like working in the nursery, changing diapers. It can happen. You've experienced it, right? That's the same word that Jesus uses here when he says detestable. It means to make someone want to gag. It's a powerful word, isn't it? And it doesn't seem very nice. But yet Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and he's saying to us, when you have a sense of personal entitlement to your material possessions, to the degree that your affections for them are more than your affections for God, when you're submitted in your heart more to things than you are to your creator. It, Jesus literally says here, it's detestable in God's sight. What does that mean? It means that God has a gag reflex and greed triggers it. Sometimes you're a Vienna sausage to God, right? That's what it means. Jesus's words right here. And don't you love how Jesus connects the idea of submission and affection to one another? Because when you're submitted to the right things, you have an affection for the right things. And when you're submitted to the wrong things, you have an affection for the wrong things. And Jesus is saying here, he's introducing you to a friend that needs to be following you around and following me around all the days of my life. When it comes to moments of generosity, you should have a friend whispering in your ear, are you submitted don't make God gag. Luke 12, 47. These are hard words from Jesus. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Not punished, but severely punished. That's not coming out of the Old Testament. Come on, that's in the Gospels. Psalm 24, 1. I remember reading this when I was 23 years old, one of the first times I read the Bible through and how it began to change the way that I looked at life. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and its people belong to him. In the King James, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in this world belongs to God, period. Period. Everything you own, everything you are, Everything you have, it's his. We're just a steward of it. 
Luke 12 says the master has a plan for your stuff. He's got a plan for you. And our responsibility in this life is to talk to him about what he wants us to do with the things that belong to him. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours. O Lord, this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. At your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. First Chronicles, this, this, that text there is a beautiful blend of submission and affection. Did you see it? He keeps submitting his heart to God, and then he talks about how much he loves him. He keeps talking about how God is his master and his sovereign, and he talks about how much he loves him. When you get your heart submitted to the right things, you're going to fall in love with the right things. Everything we have belongs to God. Is my heart, so this is your question, is my heart submitted to the belief that everything I have belongs to God? And we'll read it again. Is my heart submitted to the belief that everything I have belongs to God? I love how David there isn't right, okay, God, it's all yours. I know I've got to catch up to this idea that nothing that I have belongs to me, even my kingdom, even it's yours, right? No, no, he's dancing and celebrating and worshiping. His heart is overflowing with joy at the revelation that he has nothing, that he is nothing apart from God. All right, second friend. So first friend, am I submitted? All right, second friend, second friend. Am I expectant, right? So two weeks ago, am I cheerful, Right? And we just did, am I submitted? And now we're doing, am I expectant? Am I expectant? I want to read out of Psalm 112, 6 through 8. Psalm 112, we're going to do 6 through 8. Such people will not be overcome by evil. What kind of people? These are people that are submitted to God. Those who are righteous will long will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. See, it doesn't mean that you're not ever going to get bad news as someone who's submitted to God. It means that when bad news comes that you're not afraid. They confidently trust the Lord to take care of them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly, right? It doesn't mean that you're not going to get bad news. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have foes and things that come against you. You're going to have all of that. They share, listen, they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger and they will slink away their hopes thwarted. I love how in this psalm, the psalmist writes as the Holy Spirit is inspiring them that that when you have a sense of expectancy of the goodness of God, it fuels the generosity that should flow from your life. Because when you begin to realize how generous God is to you, how could you not in turn be generous to other people? And I love how the context of the psalm is not the idea of being generous in seasons of abundance. It's not the idea of being generous when things are great. It's not the idea of being generous when everything, when you've gotten good news and when you only have friends surrounding you, right? The context is bad news and foes. And this is when the psalmist says, I'm still going to be generous even in times like this. I'm not going to let my character be shaped by my circumstance. I'm going to bring my character to my circumstance regardless of what my situation might be. So let me tell you a little bit of a story. 
parts of the story you guys have heard before. I'm going to share some numbers in the story which might make you uncomfortable. So let me just speak to that for a minute because in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about praying in your closet and not knowing what your right, your left hand or your right hand, knowing what giving, talking about anonymity and giving, right? You got to remember the Bible's contextual, right? which means that you got to understand the context. The context of this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were looking for self-promotion, right? So he's saying to them, don't pray in public anymore until you've learned how to pray in private, right? That's, that's the, the right way to read that. He's saying, don't talk about what you give anymore until you learn how to give in private. But if your motivation is for the glory of God, then you should be willing to pray when other people see you, right? If your motivation is for the glory of God, you shouldn't be afraid to tell your faith promise stories or talk about how God is moving in your life through the work of tithing and things of this nature. If you feel like that you have a problem with being boastful, then shift those things to being private. Does that make sense? Okay. So when we were planning to move here in 2007, one of the first things that God said to me was, Fred, I want you to sell your boat. And I was like, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's, right? And everything in it. Because sometimes God asks you to give up stuff that you really want to keep, right? It's the first boat that we had ever bought. It was a project boat. We had fixed it up. We had family memories on this boat. It was a little 18-foot bow rider with a little 135-horsepower motor. And, 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 and God says, no, 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 you, you got you to get rid of that, right? You got to be all in for this move, Fred. So we sold that boat. We actually made money on selling a boat. Who, who does that happen to, right? So we sell it, and we're, we're all in to move here. And we come and move into that townhouse off of Denby Boulevard there, Holly Mead. We were that one right there on the corner of this three-story townhome. And, and, uh, and so we're here, and during that first year, th- this is what, then, then God says this. God says, I want you to expand the way that you tithe. I want you to, to increase the umbrella just beyond your gross annual income, but I want you to take it out another circle and give more. And I'm thinking to myself, God, you're, we, you already asked a lot of us already, right, to come here. You, you ever have conversations like that with God? I have conversations like that with God. But then at some point we have to, am I cheerful? Right? You got some friends that's, that, that step into your moment, right? Are you cheerful? Are you submitted? Are you expectant, right? These are four friends that are in my life, right? Or three. I'm going to give you the fourth one, right? These friends are with me. They talk to me. So I'm realizing, hey, this what God is asking me to do, this is his stuff. It's not mine anyways. Until when you begin to think that way, generosity begins to flow from your life. So, so we begin to tithe more than, than, than what would typically be the norm. Let's say the typical, typical, typical tithe. Then all of a sudden that year, our finances just began to flourish in some ways that were unexplainable ways. And so this is, I felt like God spoke to me. All right, Fred, you can go boat shopping. Like, come on, Right? We like it when God says that to us. So we go out and we find another great deal and we get back on the water and, and at the end of the summer, at the end of the summer, we've just had this boat for a couple of months. Guess what God says? Yeah, that's exactly what, were you, you were there, right? Sell your boat. Like, come on, God, we just bought this boat. What do you mean I gotta sell the boat? But I knew, I knew. I was down in my office, I had an office in the, first floor, the ground level, right? And, and, and I'm praying and I just as clear as day, hear God speak to me, sell it. So I, I just knew. So I put it up for sale. And Vanessa got home later that day and I said, hey, I got good news and bad news, <laughs> right? The good news is that God still speaks. The bad news is that we got to sell it. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. I just, I just, I just know. All right, now, it's the end of August, beginning of September. If you know anything about boats, you don't sell boats in the end of August, the beginning of September, because people don't buy boats in the end of August, the beginning of September, because they've got to pay to store that boat right, until they can use it. No, it just, it doesn't, they don't sell. They don't sell. We put that thing up for sale within a matter of days. We got a phone call from somebody. Just put it on Craigslist. There was a family that lives in this area that had been on vacation at the end of August. They had rented a boat. They had teenage boys. And they said, we got, we got to get one of these. This, is, this would be amazing for our family. And they said, we want to come see your boat. I said, no, let's, don't come see it. Why don't you let me take your son's wakeboarding, right? So I know that's how you sell a boat, just so you know. 
So we get out there and we launch the boat. Derek and Ethan are with me and we get this husband and wife and their two teenage boys and he gets out there. He pops right up on that wakeboard. I see the biggest smile on his face and I thought, we just sold our boat right there, right? We get back to the dock and the dad hands me a cashier's check and boom, it's done. I kid you not, it was probably just two weeks later we found out our townhouse was built with toxic Chinese drywall and we entered into five years of financial crisis. Don't you think God saw that coming? Don't you think he was saying to us, right, even though we didn't know it? Now, God could have said, you're about ready to enter into financial crisis, and this is why I'm doing that. But he doesn't, he does that sometimes, but he doesn't always do it. And you, you know, he doesn't always do it because he's trying to teach us to trust him. See, are you expectant when it comes to moments of generosity? See, because here in the psalm it says when there's bad news, when there's a foe in your life, something that's standing or someone that's standing against you, there should be something inside of you when it comes to your finances, even if it's a financial crisis, that says, I'm expectant because God is good and he is bigger than this situation. Can I just tell you that that one thing that God did for us helped to sustain us for those next five years? It was, it was one of those things that God did for us to say, I know what you're going through and I'm going to see you through it and my promises are true and you're going to come out the other side of this thing better than you went in. Yeah. I'm just telling you, expectancy is a huge part of our Christian experience. So in 2012, we were right in the middle of this nasty financial crisis of no doing of our own. We put our whole life savings in that thing, gone, overnight disappears. We're doing a faith promise here, one of the first faith promises that we ever did. And Vanessa and I talked, and, and we came up with a, with, a, with a number that we were going to do. It was $1,000. We didn't have $1,000. That's part of what faith promise is about. And, and, but, but that's the number. I, but I came up with that number. So I was praying one day, and I felt like God said to me, Fred, this is, this is your faith promise? He's like, yep. He's like, this is, this is what you have faith for? I said, Nope. I got faith for about a hundred. This is a thousand. Right? So I said, I, this is the conversation. Some of you have heard the story. So I, this is the conversation I had. What do you have faith for, God? And he said, I have faith for $5,000. I was like, all right. Then let's do it. Because that's what faith promise is. It's, it's hearing from God. And even when it doesn't make sense, having a sense of expectancy that he's going to keep his word. I love that. I got a faith promise just last week, a story that came in from the Suffolk campus, a young couple that's been a part of this church from the beginning. And they said, we've done faith promise just about every year and it's never happened for us, not once, but it happened for us for the first time this year. And they turned their faith promise in last weekend in the offering at Suffolk. You with me? It's not always a neat and clean and pretty story because sometimes God is testing us because he wants to grow us. So I said, all right, God, it's 5,000. So I talked to Vanessa, and she's right, she's of the same height, right? This is what God is saying, then let's do it. So we did a $5,000 faith promise. We turned it in. Our, our home, we were trying to short sell our home, and every, everybody said, banks, real estate, you, you cannot short sell this home, right? Because of mortgage-backed securities, these homes are all tied in. It's no clear sense of who owns it, and it's just, it's so stinking complicated, right? And then all of a sudden, I kid you not, within a matter of weeks, the home sells. Out of the blue. We don't even really know how it happened. Out of the blue, it sells. We go to close, right? We owe like $260,000 on this home, and it sells for about $74,000 that an investor buys it. The bank forgives the debt, which it does not have to do, and at the end of that year, there's a special law that had been passed that was going to expire in about six months that, that you did not have to pay taxes on the forgiven debt, which is what's normal. So that's done. Then we sign at the closing and they put a check in front of us. Now we know it was possible that we might get something in closing because of some law that would, and people that were facing financial hardship and short selling homes to help you get started again. But we didn't know how much that was going to be. Can I just tell you that check was $4,000 to the penny, not five. You know why that is? Because God said, you had faith for a thousand. You're on your own from here. (laughs) I kid you not, $4,000. 
So we're holding a check for $4,000 in our hand. And we're in the middle of the biggest crisis in our lives. We could not put that check in the offering soon enough. Why? Because I have a friend that follows me around. And he says, are you expectant? Are you, expect, are you cheerful? Are you submitted? And are you expectant? I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not talking about being dumb and stupid. Right? We had counsel and many of you walked through this with us. I'm talking about when God speaks and you know it's him, do you trust him? Are you expectant? We were selected to be one of seven families to represent the state of Virginia in the federal case against these Chinese corporations that produce this toxic Chinese drywall. What are the chances of that? 2009, we got flown down, right? We felt like we were on an episode of Law and Order. You're in the witness stand. They're prepping you in the hotel room, right? We were there. 2009, judgments were, were issued. China, in the, history, in the history of U.S. relations, has never paid, not one time, a product liability suit. Never, ever. But I have a friend that follows me around and says, are you expectant? So last year, we get a call from our attorney. They're going to pay. What? (laughs) They're going to pay. Now you can say it's a coincidence, but I don't think it is. Because last year we launched our 2020 vision. We're not a big church, but we knew we had to raise somewhere between eighty and a hundred thousand dollars to plant this campus. Because we knew we needed to hire staff and, 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 and we needed to have money. We were going to have to subsidize our budget this year because our projected giving wasn't going to be enough to sustain it all. So we had to raise money to subsidize our own budget. If you were at our business meeting a couple of years ago, we laid that whole plan out. We laid it out again this, this past year. But we knew we had to raise eighty dollars to $100,000. And so, so last year, not only were we able to do our faith promise, but we were able to write a check for $25,000 to the 2020 Vision Fund. It might be the biggest moment of generosity that we ever experienced in our lifetime. Who knows, right? I don't know. But this is what I do know, that God moved the nation of China so Suffolk could be planted, right? I mean, never in the history, ever. It wasn't on CNN. No, but it was in City Life Church News. And that's all the news that matters to me. God did something miraculous, miraculous, Would we want to go through it again? No. No, because it's hard. It's hard to walk through five years of... Now, there's financial crisis that comes from foolishness, and maybe some of you are walking through that. That's another sermon for another time. Then there's something called redemptive affliction. That's what I call it. That's when you're being afflicted by God because He's redeeming something in your life, something that He allows to take place. He was walking us through something that was tragic. What he did in us, what happened through us, and the financial blessing that came through that. I'm just telling you, I will be expectant for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. Whether facing good news or bad. God has a way of of searing something onto your heart. So that it will be a part of you for all of your days. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11, and God will generously provide all that you need and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest and generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Psalm 27, 13, you know this one. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Do you have a sense of expectancy in your life? Mark 10, 29 and 30, yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house, done that one, Brothers, sisters, mother, father, 
children or property for my sake, for the what? For the good news. That's why this sermon is in this series. You will receive now, now, in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. I love how he puts that in there. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. That's why the, the, the message of this church is heaven now, heaven forever. Goodness now and goodness beyond imagination then. Does it come without persecution? No. Is it filled with hardship? You better believe it. Are there foes that are going to come and stand against us? You better be ready for it. But it does not mean that there should not be a sense of expectancy in my heart when those things come. Let me just share this thought with you, and then I'm going to ask you the question, and we're going to move on to number three. I know we're off the clock just a little bit. When you're in a season like that of hardship, can I just tell you that prayer and worship are two things that you must have an abundance of in your life to see yourself through. Getting alone with God in a place of prayer and crying out to Him, talking with Him about what's going on in your life. You need all 12 pathways in your life. We're going to be getting into that in the series that's to come. But you need a heavy dose of prayer and of worship because those things create a sense of expectation and expectancy in you like few others will. All right, is my heart waiting expectantly for God's promise provision? Is my heart waiting expectantly for God's promise provision? So am I cheerful, right? Am I cheerful? Am I submitted and am I expectant? This is my fourth and final friend that I want to introduce to you when it comes to generosity is am I content? See, if you're going to have the third friend, it's really important that you have this fourth friend because contentment keeps expectancy from becoming entitlement. Contentment keeps expectancy from becoming entitlement. Luke 12, Luke 12. Luke 12, 15 says this. Then he said, beware and guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Don't you love how you, we, we talk about this idea of expectancy and the promise of prosperity and houses, right, and all this, and then Jesus comes in and, and he says, whoa, 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 but those things, they're not the measure of your life, right? They're not the measure of your life. Let me jump down to 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food. See, worry is different from expectancy, whether or not you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any bird. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can accomplish a little thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over big things? And for the sake of time, but you're familiar with it. And he goes on and on and talks about the different parts of nature that God's going to provide for and how beautiful they are. And and if you're his children, how much more is he going to provide for you? And then 31, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. Because see, if your heart is submitted to the right things, then you're going to have affection for the right things. So 32 says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom expectancy. Expectancy that's tempered by contentment. Now this word greed that I read to you in verse 15, I like this word. In the Greek, it's the word pleonexia, and it's made from two words, which is pleon, which means more, and echo, which means to have. So it means to have more. But the connotation of the word, it's not just simply to have more, like when you say, I'll have a second helping of this, or I wouldn't mind having that, right? It's deeper than that. Pleonexia is this idea, it's a craving that controls you. It's the idea that when you don't have it, you must have it. And it's the idea that when you have some of it, it consumes every thought that you have to have more of it. Many of you have experienced that. If you struggle with addiction in certain areas of your life, you understand this idea of pleonexia. It's this driving, controlling force in your life that's making you hungry for something that's not healthy. I think Judas was guilty ultimately of pleonexia because I think pleonexia 
is ultimately the sin of doubting the sovereignty of God. Remember the text we were reading earlier where it says that, that power and wealth are in God's hand, right? I believe that every person has a material destiny. We talk about destinies, other parts of our destinies, but I think right there in those texts that we read earlier tonight that God's teaching us that there is a material destiny that we have. Right? There's a lot of theologies out there that lose sight of that, and it gets people in trouble right? because it gives people this vision for this, these, these incredible wealth that might not even be a part of God's plan for their life. When, when you begin to, to crave things that maybe God didn't intend for you to, to, to have, then, then pleonexia has begun to enter into your heart and you begin to make demands of God for things that he doesn't plan for you because it's outside of your material destiny. Expectancy is not for a life of wealth. Expectancy is that God is going to provide you everything that he's destined you to have. Let me read 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root of all evil. People must quote it. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And for some people, listen to what it says. Craving money have wandered from the truth, the true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Listen to Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Many of you are familiar with this. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. This is Paul writing to the church of Philippi. That you're concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty. With plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think this is one of the most, most misused verses in the Bible, right? We love to use this verse in connection to something that we want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of this verse, right, is just as much about you finding contentment in having nothing as it is in having faith for more than what you've got in the moment. Paul's saying, I've learned, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which means that if God says no to me, then I'm just content because all I want is his will. Is it about overcoming sometimes? Sure it is. But if that's the only time you use that verse, then you need to pull it out a little bit more often. I've got four friends that follow me around in my life when it comes to material things and generosity. And it's, it's a friend called Cheerful. It's a friend called submission. It's a friend called expectancy. And it's a friend that's called contentment. And when these four friends, when you invite them in to live with you for the rest of your life, I'm telling you the pathway of generosity, just it gets a lot clearer and it becomes a pathway that you love to walk on. Is my heart content with the material destiny that God has planned for me? I'm not going to bring the, the band back up because I want to keep sharing some of these things and then we'll just close tonight in prayer. When you have the right friends, you will prosper in all kinds of seasons. Let me say that again. When you have the right friends, you will prosper in all kinds of seasons. Listen to this. Seasons are determined by the sovereignty of God. Seasons are determined by the sovereignty of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about all these different kinds of seasons. And I love that you read a couple of verses and then it comes back to the concept of seasons. And it says all things are beautiful in their time. Right? Usually we only think of half of that list as being beautiful. Are you with me? But God says, no, 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 they're all beautiful because they're seasons that I have for you. Seasons are determined by the sovereignty of God. But I believe Scripture teaches us this also. The duration of that season is set by the decisions of people. Seasons are determined by the sovereignty of God, but their duration is set by the decisions of people. Where do I get that? When I get it first and foremost from the Israelites in the wilderness. It was a preordained season for them to enter into a place of wilderness until they went into the promised land. It was ordained for them to go there. It was not God's original plan for them to be there for 40 years. The duration of that season was determined 
by the decisions of people, by the decisions of people to reject God and to rebel against Him and to resist Him. For some of you, you're in a season that God ordained for you to be in, but you're in it for longer than you're supposed to be because of the condition of your heart, because of your response to God, because of your unwillingness to begin to do the things that God wants you to do. And you're frustrated with God because this season doesn't seem to have an end, and God's response to you is, that season was supposed to be over three years ago. You're in it longer because of you. It's a sobering story, is it not? And they had to be in the desert for 40 years so an entire generation would die, except for Caleb. Just, that's it, just one got to go into the promised land. Why him? Because he had a heart that was for God and only him. It's a powerful story about Caleb, isn't it? That out of, entire, out of an entire generation, he was the only one that got to move forward. When you're in a season whether it's a season that you would choose or whether a season that you never want to come to an end, something inside of you has to say, these seasons, God, these are, these are yours. But help me not to be in this season any longer than I'm supposed to through the condition of my heart and through the decisions that I make. And if right now, if you're in a season of financial hardship, I hope that you invite four friends to begin to go on a journey with you that begins to ask you questions like, are you cheerful and submitted and expectant and content? And let those four friends begin to shape your heart. And if you do that, I'm telling you that season will not last any longer than it's supposed to. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making, making wise the simple. That gives me great hope. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest of gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sin. Don't let them control me. And then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Listen to this, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Many of you have heard that verse, but can I just tell you, you will never be verse 14 until you let your heart be overflowing with 7 through 13. You have got to say to yourself, we are going to fall in love with the word of God and I'm going to submit myself to it all the days of my life and I'm going to be excited about it even when it convicts me, even when it corrects me, even when it provokes me, even when it hurts my feelings, even when it exposes me, even when it presses me and challenges me and asks me to change in ways and do things that I don't think are even possible for me to do, that something inside of us says, God, we trust in your word. And as that begins to happen in us, then guess what? All of a sudden, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, they become pleasing to the Father close with this. Psalm 16, verse 11. Got it marked in my other Bible, but I'm just going to turn here. 1611. I love this verse. You will show me the way of life. See, there's times in our lives where we're supposed to come to God with a humble prayer. There's times in our lives where we're supposed to seek his will. There's times in our, our, our lives where we, we come with fear and trepidation, right? But can I just tell you, there are also times where the Bible gives you liberty to be bold in your conversations with your Father. 
especially when you're declaring promises that he's already spoken over you. When you're declaring promises that he's already spoken over you, then there's no need for timidity. There's no need for fear and trepidation. There's no need for doubt. There is a God confidence, not an arrogance, not an entitlement, but a God confidence that you can have. Listen to what the psalmist says. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Heaven now, heaven forever. That's his promise to you. That's his promise to me. And I want to live out all of my days with a sense of confidence that every hardship that I faced was because of redemptive affliction and not because of foolishness. And every blessing that he brings to me, I celebrate it with humility and give away whatever part of it he asks of me because nothing that I have belongs to me. It's all his. Stand with me. Father, we know... Then that first weekend of December in 2008, this property, this building at 28 Harpersville Road became your provision to us. Marriages have been restored in this building. People have taken their first spiritual breath in this building. People have been baptized in your Holy Spirit in this building. People have served in ministry for the first time in this building. People have been challenged and held to account in this building. Children have heard the message of the gospel for the first time in this building. Praise has flown from people's hearts for the first time in this building. Hands have been raised and knees have bent. Vows have been made and prayers have been offered in this building. And we will always cherish this place, Father, because it was your gift to us. It was your provision to us. But part of your gift to us, we know, and part of your provision for us in this building was to hear your voice. And that voice has been one that calls us to a different place. And so we say tonight, God, thank you for everything that's happened here. But we also say, you will do all of those things again at 311 Selton Road. Not because we're arrogant, not because we're entitled, because they are the promises that you have spoken over your church and over your children. And we go there, God, with great expectancy because that's who you are. Ephesians 3.20, that you're going to always do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. So, Father, we say we cannot wait for 5 o'clock next Saturday. We cannot wait. For many people, it's going to be 4.30 on Saturday. It is the beginning of a new season that is a new place. And all that's going to be done for your glory in that place, we say right now in this moment, yes and amen. We consecrate our heart to you, to your purposes, to your plans, to your will. And may it be, God, that we walk through this life with the friends that we can touch and the friends that we can only hear that we call questions. And may one day when we breathe our last, step into eternity, that we're going to hear from you just a simple phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody sit together. Amen. We'll see you next week.